Welcome to Gig Stories with Music People. I'm your host, Evan Michael, at the Spacement Recording Studio in Los Angeles, California. I'm happy to say that we just surpassed 1,000 downloads. Pretty cool milestone. So thank you for listening, subscribing, sharing, all that. It's uh, been a fun ride. This is episode 21. Joining me via Zoom was a close friend of mine, former bandmate, former housemate, Scott Kyle. I had an awesome time reliving some of our favorite stories together and hearing about what he's up to now. Scott's originally from Michigan, spent over a decade in LA, and is now over in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's been drumming for 30 years. He's performed with many bands and artists such as Blackwater Jukebox, Alex Bowles, AKA Burley Temple, Black Crystal Wolf Kids, The Hot Nothing, Five Track, and Glass Goblins. He's got a solo project called Cuddle Face, and he does a ton of teaching. So check out at SK underscore drums 11 on Instagram. I'm at Evan on the bass. The studio is at the underscore spacement podcast gig stories with music people share it with a friend or an enemy let's get to it enjoy welcome to the pod my friend good to see you uh dude i i was reminiscing a little bit thinking about what we could talk about i mean there's so much to talk about for sure um but you start. You were uh, an advisor at, at, well, what's now LA College of Music, uh-huh. Lama. I figure that's kind of a cool place to start, because like, well, well it, that's where we start. That's where we start right? exactly. Like where we met. So yeah, just just to to reminisce a little bit. So like, I visited the school. This was eleven years ago, twelve years ago, whatever. And you were like the advisor, <laughs> and I just remember. I know we've talked about this before, but. Uh, I just remember in that meeting, you being like, yeah, you'll be the, ba- you know, you'll be the bass player around campus. There's not that many of you. So like, everybody's going to want to hire you. You're like, maybe I'll hire you for something. And I was just like, yeah, this guy says this to everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And then like, literally you did like you, <laughs> you, I mean, I was a year in or something like that. And you're like, Hey, you want a gig playing and you know, and I was just like, Yeah, sure. I was taking anything at the time. Dude, everybody needs bass players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, was you like, weren't lying. <laughs> bass player. <laughs> yeah. No, but for real. Um, and it wasn't just that. I mean, obviously word traveled around that like, you know, you were handling your own and whatnot. So it was like, Yeah, why not? Let's see where this goes for sure. Oh, that's kind of you. But so what we did uh that first gig, we can jump into that story because like that was uh at the echo country outpost which was like a second home to you and and to me at times uh where we did the power ballad prom uh-huh. and that was just like such a cool like i mean it wasn't my first la gig but it was definitely like one of the early gigs for me and the echo country outpost was just this like really cool art space thing i don't know do you want to re- describe the, the no, keep going. You, no, go ahead. Go ahead. uh it was like a a diy like venue art space people lived there we were friends with with the owners and like everybody who lived there uh which was a rotating cast but uh do you can, can you describe the power ballad prom <laughs> yeah so i mean there were a couple shows i did when i lived in la that were like my favorite for sure. And like, yeah. I knew they would be my favorite going into them. Like the idea of the show 
was like, yep, I'm super excited about this. I'm going to obsess about this for the next three to six months, you know? Um, and so the idea was, it was nothing but power ballads. It was the conversation of power ballads had kind of started. And then I'd have to consult volts on the origin of how the prom and the show all came together. But I mean, obviously I got to give that guy some credit. Um, him and I got together and we were talking about it. We got Jordy in on it. Uh, we got our friend Brian Hobart in on it, who is a super talented multi-instrumentalist and Hobie. Yeah. Yeah. Hobie. And obviously needed a bass player. So I was like, well, well let me look around, man. And, get one and of the students in here. <laughs> dude, get a bass player, right? Seriously, everybody. That'll be a theme for, for sure is like everybody needs bass players. So, yeah. um, but uh, I grew up, obviously, a huge fan of hair metal. Like, my he, the very first number one influence for me was Bon Jovi. Like, as a oh, young, yeah. young kid, I remember seeing MTV, and I remember seeing his videos. I mean, there was Def Leppard, and there was eventually Motley Crue and, and other bands that I really got into. But as a young kid when I first found my own music that wasn't kind of what my mom was listening to or uh, just what you heard around or whatever, I remember it being like, yeah, this is definitely it. And I just remember seeing how cool he was. Like he was running around and he was good looking. Like there were shots of chicks just adoring him in the video. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I can't even tell you how young I was. I just understood that that was what the definition of cool was, you know? So I grew up, obviously, once I found my first music that I loved, that I, I listened to music as a young kid, but that I was like, this is mine, was hair, hair metal, 80s, right? right? And in the 80s and 90s, there were always CD compilation or cassette compilation commercials, like on TV, you know? one of which was this power ballad collection. And I always remember like the list of like Carrie by Europe. And um, like, I can just, I can, I can think of the commercials in my head right now. It's just one of those commercials you just saw over and over. And, and one of it was the power ballad. And so, yeah, um, again, I'd have to talk with Voles about how we really got around the idea of doing it. Like, but we sat down we figured out that that was a show. Um, uh it reminds me of that commercial still to this day because i was like this is the set list it's you know all of these hair metal bands because the idea of the power ballad was that you had a rock and cool hair metal band that all the dudes liked yeah and even though they looked like chicks they still played a lot of like rock and music most of the most of the album or most of their set was rocking tunes but there was right. like one or two songs on the album where it had a formula and they figured that formula out early on in the 80s and every band even metallica had a ballad sure. on a couple other earlier albums you know the ride sure. lightning and you know there was always a moment where they brought it down too and so like I don't know. There was, the, there was just this long conversations about the power ballad. We, we, we got a bunch of our, our, our good friends together and, 
and really fit the mold. But we also obviously wanted to do an aesthetic thing. And again, it's it's just, I don't know, man, it's been a lot of life since that show. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it, it's fuzzy on how we got all the ideas together, but we definitely wanted to do like a prom theme show. Um, and so we were going to design our own band where we went out with the, uh, the costume and uh, <laughs> I would like you to tell your podcast listeners your <laughs> uh, name as a member of Camaro Wolf. Oh man. Well, I, you got me thinking about the costume. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ele- yeah I, I guess too. you have to explain your <laughs> costume in order to explain <laughs> your name. Yeah. Well, I remember, uh, being told about the, I think I was told about the costume like after I was already committed to the uh to the gig and was like definitely took me a little bit of uh convincing to like really go for it <laughs> with the costume and I was like all right fine and hit up my friend I uh my friend Jose former podcast alum shout out Jose Jose Garcia, yeah, yeah. who I I had seen at a Halloween party, had worn these uh, like white tiger uh, tights, and I ended up borrowing. It was funny because like with him, they were like these super painted on, like he's got these thick legs, and with me, it was like, well, they're they're tight, but they're not like that as tight as <laughs> as his, uh, and like totally stuffed a sock down there, like multiple socks just to be like over the top um yeah oh, you stuff socks on there i didn't know that uh i, I mean <laughs> that was all me yeah <laughs> i was trying to uh, yeah uh, a static comedy there yeah no i appreciate that but it was obvious i mean it was like over the top like this is a joke obviously this is a gag it, it, it looks like a a, a literal egg, eggplant down there however there was a lot of depth to your character he was a well-educated person if i'm not mistaken yeah i dude i'm totally a doctor on the name. if i'm not mistaken doctor um fuck i'm to- honestly i'm totally blanking on the name really you don't remember the you, name you, von bongen if i'm not mistaken uh, you yeah, were dr von bongen dr von bongen <laughs> spelled like spelled like bangin said like bongen now i'm um, not sure i could name all of the other members of camaro <laughs> wolf again we'd almost have to do a subpar podcast with bulls <laughs> on just power ballad prom and the names but <laughs> i remember what we all looked like yeah you had a you had more going on than just the the the, yeah. the spandex that's the waist down what about the waist that was up? the waist down i had i got, I got a nikki six wig uh mm-hmm. with a nice bandana i got some some bling this like gold chain with like a big smiley face medallion thing I think I wore a tattoo sleeve that I had bought for a, another cover band, couple, one or two tattoo sleeves, uh, sunglasses, and a, on a dark stage, which I ended up having to get used to on multiple bands <laughs> later on. Um, was there something I'm missing? Was that? Uh, that sounds. Yeah. There were glasses. I think you had too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Some sort of sunglasses. Yeah. There were. There's definitely a photo. I'm not really. I, I kind of tapped off Facebook, but um, yeah. there's there is a photo there that I'll probably want to make sure I get on and 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 download and save for sure. Where we 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 did a still. There's um, like one, yeah. There's like one still we did, and then there's like one 
live show. That was like the one regret from that show is that there's not more photos because it was so like, I like fun and maybe that's part of the the mystique and the mystery at this point. But I wish there was like a a couple more photos of us because you looked great too. You had you know you got you're all Dude, tattooed. Dude, I shaved my beard for that show. <laughs> Uh, I was thought you were going to say your chest or your back or something, but beard, that's, that's big. Oh, too. Dude, I, <laughs> I leaned it too. out, but I did, I did have some spandex. I did have a, have a wig. Um, I walked around and was talking to people and no one recognized me because of the makeup. A good friend of ours, uh, Jody did kind of like a Tommy Lee meets David Bowie kind of makeup thing going on. So with the wig, I mean, I had glitter and like, I mean, oh, dude, I yeah. was it was awesome. So oh, yeah, you looked great. You sang like everybody. Uh, I, I guess this was before I had the balls enough to, to sing lead on a song. Cause I was like, no, I'm not going to sing lead, but everybody else sang lead. You sang lead on, I think it was home. Home by, sweet uh, home. Home sweet home. Yeah. I did uh, home sweet home. Awful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we did, we did two full sets of power ballads. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's a lot of power ballads. Like it was, it was fun. Like, dude, it, it went over so well. And well, we it was did... <laughs> a lot of fun too. And that's what I think of like this show and another show, um, the guns and roses one, which we can talk about too. Um, man, dude, we obsessed, like we had conversations just, and not even like official, like town hall meetings, but like we had, I think Vols had everyone write out a list of what they thought power ballads were. And, you know, there were some that were like, it was fun discussions. Cause like Jordy, I remember Jordy brought in one by Metallica. And oh. I want to say that was after my 30th birthday party where I did play one by Metallica. And I was like, I'm probably not going to play that song for a while. Yeah. I put the double bass away, you know, and I don't really generally play a lot of double bass but like you can't play any double bass song without being really clean with your double bass right. and so like as simple as simple as you know compared to a lot of modern day double bass songs one is like there's a couple you know 16th triplets and things you gotta like take it to get it out you know and like you got to be robotic, man. And I remember just getting in the shed and just like 40 BPM, just like one leg at a time, just like, Oh my God, <laughs> it's like, it's like running uphill, you know, or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I remember when, when Jordy brought that one up, I was like, oh, I'm not like whether one meets the criteria as a power ballad and, and it's suitable for this set. I had to veto that one. Cause I just physically wasn't like, I'm not, I'm not sure. bringing that back out again or whatever. Sure. But it was, it was interesting. It was interesting having a conversation on ones that were on the periphery that were like arguably power ballads. And then there were so many that were obviously powered. We had more than enough to choose from. So oh, then yeah. it was eliminating but it was fun involving like the flame by cheap trick. I'm a huge cheap trick fan. And right. um, I want to say this was even after we did power ballad prom volts and I saw them at the Greek theater and, you know, obviously cheap tricks been a band since what the seventies or whatever. And tons of hits and tons of classic songs and even within their catalog that spanned decades when they broke out the flame their 80s power ballad the entire place was like hitting the chorus right on the one <laughs> it was like the flame power ballads dude right you know and like it was just such a fun show but it was it's those type of shows for me like i still have i don't know, want to even digress on this kind of a thing but i still have goals that i want to achieve as far as like you know venues and types of shows and all that kind of fun yeah. stuff um 
but uh, th- those type of shows were so much fun because there were so many conversations. There was so much planning involved. There was so much preparation and so many good times had by the key players that did it. I mean, like yeah. just our rehearsals alone. I mean, just hanging with those dudes, the people we got to do it. And then the alter egos and the costumes and really playing into each other. I mean, it was just such a blast. It, it was like, legit a show. And there was even like little at like, acts and stuff like skits basically there were a couple little things with like uh and it was somebody's birthday too like there was like a whole celebration there was jenny klein's birthday i believe it was jenny klein Um, there was like a skit with the prom thing that so it was like it was like a show it wasn't just was it the meat did we do the meatloaf song and was it during the meatloaf i can't he did something for that too did we do uh, the meatloaf tune? The bad out of hell one. The... Uh, 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 I could, I would do anything for love, but I want that. Vols talked about that on on our on our podcast with him. Shout okay. out that that was a good episode. If you guys want to hear that, but he does talk about that. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. You know where he yeah. stopped. He so stopped and made one. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I just want to go back real quick to you're talking about the rehearsals, and I just had a flashback of. Okay, so you you sent you know you asked me to do this gig and I was like, at the time it was like super cool you know I I hardly had any gigs at the time I was only in L A for a year I was focused on school and it was like fuck yeah let's do a gig and I you know you just like send me this address and you know learn these songs blah 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 and I show up and it's hey, you didn't even know anybody I didn't know I did this was yeah this was my introduction to all and the cast of characters of these guys who are all good friends now like again it's kind so of shout funny. out to the scene at the echo country outpost so exactly. a lot of people that rolled in and out through there you know exactly and and again a thousand thank yous for bringing me into that dude. oh it's such like... a great people man we could again <laughs> yeah. another sidebar and just talking to the the true uh hosts of that, that those events too i I mean, those are those are some of the yes. best people on the planet, you know. Chris and Erica, so. shout out to them. Uh, yeah. They're out in New York now, I guess. Um, in a beautiful spot up in, in New a beautiful York. Hat. Yeah, yeah, spruces. Shout out spruces if you want an event Hudson out in New- upstate New York. Yeah, man. <laughs> but no, Hudson so I, I show up at, at at Hobie's house. I don't know anybody except you know except you like somewhat you know from school. And you know I, I probably showed up ten minutes early or something like that. And I like knock on the door. And there's like no answer and i'm like okay and then like somebody comes to the door and is like yes and i'm like sort of like uh i'm here for the band rehearsal and they're like uh yeah maybe that's our roommate come on in and of course now <laughs> i know this it was probably nick who i know now you know nick or renee who who were his roommates at the time but you know like so they like were like oh let's knock on hobie's door so they're knocking on his door and he's not answering and then like you kind of hear him like getting up <laughs> and like opens the door and he's just like in boxers just like just like <laughs> eyes like completely closed just like prying open and it was just like uh there's a rehearsal right now, right? And and he's like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, uh, just give me like five minutes. And, <laughs> and he's just like, you know, probably super hungover or whatever. And I feel you like know, that's like... a rite of passage. Sorry to, sorry to sidebar you, <laughs> yeah, but just sure. the rehearsal where you meet the roommate first. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And they have that no idea. That could be a not bad on. situation, or that could be yeah. like, where, where, where's, dude. Anyways, yeah, I'm sorry, I keep going. But yeah, the, the rehearsal where you're like, yep, 
he'll be here in a minute <laughs> yeah well Anyways. and just the reveal of like each person like that was my reveal of hobie number one cast number the character one. one yeah and then in like, order of appearance <laughs> exactly and then like voles rolls up and he's got this huge you know zz top looking beard and it's like all right you know and i think i had seen you guys play at llama so and he with with JDR with Jasper Dixon. Oh, the I Benefit think. Show. So yeah. and I remember and I I had like had a flashback at the time of Vols like his like s- strap breaking during the performance and he had to like try to finish a song with like without the strap and had to like get on the ground and like oh, I was wow. just like thinking about that when I met him I was just like yeah I remember this dude and like Jordy another just you know great friend now. And super cool dude who I it's definitely going to be on the podcast. Oh, I was going to say, we can dude, schedule yeah. it. Got to get uh, that guy on. Oh, there. yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, but I just remember what I remember about Jordy is like the entire, every rehearsal, like we'd be playing, but especially the first one, like he would just be looking at me like just so happy to be playing with just this like grin ear to ear and like, and the then Jordy like give you the, the Jordy grin and just giving mm-hmm. you wide eyes like, yes, yeah, like, and it was just, like, such a cool, like, like, how can you not enjoy <laughs> rehearsing these songs with somebody looking at you like that, like, so happy, so, anyway, I just wanted to talk about that first rehearsal, because it was, like, such a cool, you know, uh, such a cool, like, introduction to all these people who are now, like, you know, longtime friends. Yeah, and really good people, really talented people. That was that was a fun show. There's not really one thing I look back and like. I think there might have been an issue with the beer that night or something, but like, oh yeah, meaning running out of it. But like, sure, yeah, because there it was packed. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I uh, that's one of those shows where yeah, probably one of it's it's hard to say your very favorite show of all time, but it's definitely up in, there. If there was a college football bracket of four, I would definitely put Power Ballad Prom in there for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome, man. Yeah, it was just fun to, to talk about that. There were, So we played in a few different bands together after that. Blackwater Jukebox, mm-hmm. Burley Temple, which was formerly called The Rock and Roll, which is hard to Google. So I think that was the, <laughs> the main reason to change that. Um, <clears throat> and we played, I think there was a couple other like one-offs, like Anushka. We played with Nishka uh, Jogtiani, I think mm-hmm. is how you pronounce her name. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we end up being roommates for many years after that. You pulled me into this amazing place that I'm in right now. <laughs> Wish. Uh, Shout out to the spacement, man. It looks amazing. Thank I, you. Um, I think back to when I first moved down, moved in there, and I got a tour of the place and it was like, big place. Yeah, tell me about that. What's that? Oh, yeah. Just tell me about that. I remember that was a good story. about. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a Craigslist ad and I picked the location because I was working in Pasadena at Llama at the time. And I was always in Echo Park at the outpost and like that scene and roughly that part of L.A. at the time. So I was like, OK, well, this little like Highland Park, specifically if people really know their northeast L.A. very well, Herman. Yes. Um, <laughs> shout out to Herman. Uh I'm going to try to limit my shout outs here, but uh, <laughs> uh, Herman's, a, Herman's a cool little tiny like corner of a hill right between like South Pasadena and Highland Park, which is one of the hippest spots in LA now. Love it. Whatever. 
Um, but that's why I picked that location. We walk in and they were selling me on the Craigslist ad about the view. And if anyone's been to that place, you know what view I'm talking about. It's up on the hill. It looks at the sunset. You see the mountains. It's California. It's gorgeous. I love looking at that every night. Miss it a bunch. Um, and then as we're getting the tour, he's like, yeah, there's just kind of some extra space down here. And he takes me in through the door. And the guy who was living there at the time uh, was a musician composer. He was more keyboard composer type. And where you're sitting was his room. Gotcha. And that was done up. He had a he had a rig, he had some monitors and a keyboard and stuff. And then the rest of everything else was boxes and like storage and nothing else. So he's like, yeah, you can put some stuff down here. And I was telling him I was a drummer, wanted a space. And so when I first got down there, kind of where I think your booth is back there, like yeah. against the wall was like enough for a drum set. And then it was still all boxes, you know? Yeah. Sure. And by the time he moved out, a lot more boxes got cleared out. I took over the whole thing. We ended up having other musicians live there, like uh, AC. She was a drummer. Yep. So she was she was where you were at. And, I would, and that was kind of started, it turned it less of storage and more into rehearsal. And now you're turned it into like a fully functional <laughs> podcast recording, music, awesome place. Well, it's awesome. It's so cool do, yeah. to see, man. And even the deck, photos of the little deck back there. Granted, when I lived there, that deck was not up to code and a danger hazard for anybody that walked on it. But they I finally rebuilt it enough to to pass by before she sold it. Anyways, whatever. Right. That story. Well, and but we used to have such a special space, too. man. It was a cool spot. Well, and I was going to say we, uh, you used to, well, us and you before I moved in, even had shows down here when we it was did. more open. There's a couple really cool shows for sure. Um, one that speaks to mind was actually the last one that I played down there was with, um, I believe we were Titanic, Titanic at the time. Oh yeah. And, uh, and salt pedal. And my cousin still talks about salt pedal to this day. He's like, Oh, oh man, nice. that was so cool. And, and such a cool performance and such a cool party. Um, I remember the night Jonah Nimoy's band played. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember the lineup off the top of my head that night. Uh, did Blackwater play? Maybe could have been. Yeah, yeah, very much could have been. Well, there was. Um, yeah, I mean, they're kind of all. They all kind of run together. Sadie and the Blue Eyed <laughs> Devils had a spot. Had a performance where you're at facing towards the door. That was awesome. I mean, they were up on top of stuff and like yeah. banging on things. And that was when they had a real. I don't want to say washboard folky up-tempo kind of vibe but i guess that's what they did anyway but anyways they did amazing performance out there yeah a lot of cool shows i mean man there's there was so much packed into that seven year period of my life that like it, one of my best friends in michigan describes your brain as nothing but a room full of filing cabinets and a bunch of monkeys <laughs> and when you try to think of things, it's like the monkey runs around and sometimes they can find that file pretty easily and give it to you and you you remember things. And sometimes these files get a little buried and like sealed. I would, explain, resin. <laughs> I would explain the seven year period in that house as like a drawer that sometimes sticks like those files are accessible, but sometimes that drawer sticks a little bit and it's like, man, sure. Um, but yeah, so many good memories specifically in that spot, because I remember when I looked at that place and he was selling me on just the place, I was obsessed with where all these boxes were. Cause I was like, no dude, where in LA do you get this much square footage? Yeah. And like, 
at the time too, the neighbors on the other side, that was like animal house. All those people eventually got kicked out, but they were playing like punk rock at like two in the morning. Like I kid you not. Like I remember you um, telling me about that. The very yeah. the very first people, yeah. And they got kicked out probably like six months after we moved in. But like, so I knew it was cool to like practice drums if they're doing it at like two in the morning. If a band fires up at like two in the morning, I'm like, okay, whatever, you know. <laughs> um but it was just cool. It was a good spot. It, and because it has its location in the hill, I feel like, yeah, you can hear it in the neighborhood, but like, I never, we never really got a lot of attention. There was never like people coming up being like, Hey, like that's getting loud. Or like, what are you doing in there? Or like, it just yeah. was kind of left to be. And of course, you know, California, you know, people are expecting to hear bands playing in, in neighborhoods, but like, sure, it's a good spot, man. It's a unique spot. It's a special spot. A lot of people have lived at that spot. A lot of interesting people, not just musicians have been in through those walls above, obviously where you're at and all that, but like good spot, man. It's a cool oh. spot of LA. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much I can say about that. I'm so glad I lived there. It's a great spot. Yeah. yeah. And man. obviously, again, man, kudos to what you've done with it, man. It's, it's like I say, it was nice for me to just get some of those boxes out and like get some shows and some jams. And then you've taken it up to this like really beautiful level. So anybody listening, man, dude, go to Evan, go to the basement, go do some stuff there, man. <laughs> I appreciate Worth that. Man. And he's a good Thank dude, you. obviously, too. Uh, oh. high, high regards to Mr. Uh, Mr. Evan there. Well, thank you so much for saying that, man. I, I appreciate First. it. And, and I, I still think about to this day, like uh to, to to backtrack a little bit like i don't know if i would be here if it weren't for your kind of encouragement at the school i remember and i do want to get back into some more gig stories with you but like uh the the when i was when i applied i remember they were you telling me i didn't even know this until later that uh they were literally going to cancel like the base program for my quarter because I was the only one committed <laughs> at that time and they were gonna because they were you know you can't have a class with one student they had like a bunch of maybes and uh I remember you telling me that you you had to kind of fight for them to like basically offer scholarship money to I don't know if, well, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about that, but. Oh, yeah, I uh, mean, we, it was, it was, yeah, as, as many people who have an educational program know, there is generally very low enrollment in base programs, you know, yeah. people seek out different instruments. And honestly, man, I've been out of the higher education scene for a little while. So I don't even know really what the climate's like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, no, it was, it was, uh, I mean, Lama was a very special place and that's obviously like uh, a great conversation to even have too. I mean, I was listening to a little bit of like Jonas's podcast and, you know, obviously some of the other people that you know through that place as well have been on your podcast and yeah, you know, I think most people have a very favorable experience that they can speak of and how it changed their lives and increased their abilities and facilities on their instruments, but also taught them how to be like professionals, you know? Yeah. I think that's what the most amazing part of that place was, was that balance of you got more than enough of what you needed to practice for the rest of your life. I'm still working on stuff yeah. from, I learned from that school, right? Um, for sure. But like, I remember little bits and not just even, you know, your drum teacher or your instrument specific teacher, you know, just all the access to the, all the teachers you had, like you learned so much, man, if you just kept your ears open, you know, and just 
listen to what people had to say there. And I had the fortune um, to work for them for five years afterwards. And man, I was still a student the whole time I was working there. I, could, I was sneaking out to clinics every time I could. And like, right. I, oh, I went to every clinic I possibly could. Didn't matter who, who was the clinician, if I could make it and I was there. There's so much you could, you could access and gain there. And so I feel like your experience and uh, my experience and just most people, I mean, sure. There's a couple, there's a couple bumps in the road that, that every place has, but most people can say they had a very favorable experience there and a very unique place. And I was thinking about it today when we were talking a little bit yesterday, just things we could talk about it. One thing that blows my mind, it (laughs) like, I can't, it's weird for me to even say, I have one of my students enrolled this quarter, like a kid I taught for like six years, one of my private students is yeah. a drum student now at LA, what is now LACM. Wow. Um, but I started teaching him when he was what, in like fifth grade, when I met him, he was like a baseball kid and he had short hair and he was really into baseball. And I kid you not, within like six months of lessons, he quit baseball and by the time I saw him go to Llama, his hair is all long and he's just rock starring it out. And he was, he really got into a lot of like drumline stuff. He was, he was up in Arcadia and they've got a great program for, you know, a lot of competitions, drumline. He got really into that, but yeah, man, he wanted to go there. And so like everything I was telling him, I'm like, dude, I just learned it from these dudes. And like, he gets to study with Ralph and stuff now. And it's like, I think it's amazing. I just like, to me, it's like, wow, to actually see, uh, not only all of our experiences, but now I know people that are going to have similar experiences like that I taught and that I brought up. It's like, wow, that's amazing. You know, it's super cool. I, yeah. Send me his name. Cause I still do classes there sometimes. Mm. Um, and sure. if I run into him, I'll be like, Hey dude, Scott, please you know, do <laughs> please tell him I said hello. Um, I hope you get to jam with him. He's a, he's a great kid, man. He's awesome. He's a that's really awesome. good kid. Yeah. That's super cool. Well, Looking back at, I mean, seven plus years, was that how long you were in LA? It was seven years or? or well, I was in LA for about 11 years because I lived in okay. Pasadena for about three years before I moved into that spot. And then gotcha. I was in that spot for seven and some change and hung yeah. around for a little bit afterwards before I bolted out of there. So Okay. So over yeah. a decade in LA, like so many shows and a lot of them that we played together, like I mean, there's so many stories just that I was present for, but are do any shows stand out like as something you would you would want to talk about, like a good story sure. of a, of a yeah, fail well, or a success or whatever? <laughs> all the above. I yeah, mean, exactly. Um, I don't think any musician doesn't have chalk marks on either, you know, or the many categories. But when we yeah. talk about Power Ballad Prom and those like top four shows. Prior to Power Ballad Prom, when I was still really early on, I think, performing with Alex and still using the rock and roll as a moniker, we did a Guns N' Roses tribute show. Yeah. And so this preceded uh, the the Power Ballad Prom, but this was another one where I was like, I'm going to obsess about this. I'm going to learn every drum fill of every song. I'm going to learn the bongo parts in the background of Mr. Brownstone. I'm, I mean, uh, cowbells, everything. I'm learning it all. And to this day, like I haven't listened to that album a bunch, but we didn't do all of Guns N' Roses. We did Appetite for Destruction from front to back. Right. And similar to a 
power ballad prom. We didn't really costume up too much or anything, but we had people come in and out and guest stars and people do solos. And we had hula hoop dancers. We had, uh, um, we had a, L, you know, L. she came and sung rocket queen and did this crazy nice. performance at the end where she like rips her jacket off. I mean, it was <laughs> awesome, dude. It was, it was great. Um, and that was again, one of those shows where it was just like so much preparation, so many discussions about every nuance of it. And, I like those deep dives. It teaches you a lot, but you almost just barf it out. And by the time you're done with it, you're like, yeah, I'm, I love Guns N' Roses. Don't get me wrong, but like, I can't really listen. You to need 10 years till, to, until you can listen to it again. Longer. Scientifically <laughs> longer, proven longer. it's longer. And still, you know, if if It's So Easy or Mr. Brownstone or one of those like heavy hitters that are like, not really a deep cut, but not so much Sweet Child or whatever, come on. I'm like, it still gets my... I think that's probably my favorite album of all time, if not okay. Justice of All, uh, Justice for All by Metallica. Those two are just like and Justice for All and Justice for All. Yeah, wow, I actually said it wrong. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I love no, you you have to, but um, Metallica would be another sidebar too. But those two albums, but for rock and roll, I mean, to me that that just or. Uh, Appetite for Destruction is just absolutely just a ripper. Every song is amazing. And we had such a fun time doing it. And it parallels Power Ballad Prom. It doesn't have, um, like I say, as much of the costume and the, the theme behind the show other than just putting on a good rock show. But we had really cool opening bands. There was a band called Epic Jam where they were like, they looked like tennis pros and they were just playing like fun songs. And then there was a electric ukulele person that opened before that. And it was, it was, it was, a, it was a really cool gig. Nice. Um, but for so many reasons, what made Power Ballad Prom such a special show, I feel like that Guns N' Roses was a special show. But over time, you realize like, okay, that's fun things you do with other people's music. But I've always been someone that really enjoys playing my own music. Like, I'll do covers and 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 it's fun to explore covers and it's great to get covered gigs to, to pay bills and all that stuff. But like, I've always liked being at least a part of something that's created, you know, that, sure. that to me is, is, is the best part of music, you know? Yeah, I so. agree. I agree. What, so that's awesome. Um, what about, there were so many like epic fails or just, or, or just, rut, I can think of know? one. I can, I can tell you <laughs> one show when you want to just talk about fails. Um, yeah, I don't want to name bands or anything like that, sure, but, sure. uh, I can tell you the image that pops in my mind, which is the bands on the stage. There are two bartenders. That's it. Ooh, just, yeah. just looking out. And so bless the one bartender's heart, because the other one was still a little busy, like in between songs, <laughs> she'd at least throw you a couple <laughs> hand smacks. I can't even call them claps, you know? Like, yeah. And I've had many, many, I've, I would probably say in my experiences, I've had way more bad or awful shows than I've had great shows. I feel like in my experience, the good and great shows are the minority and you earn them, but they're so special and they're so much fun that, you know, you earn a lot of those bad ones, but bad ones can be so many different reasons. It could oh, yeah. be your fault. It's bad. <laughs> right. Those suck because you're like, man, I had a bad night. I fell apart. I forgot my kick pedal. I, you know, <laughs> so there's one same venue of the image of no people with 
just the bartender, same venue, same band. <laughs> we get set up and I'm a hundred percent ready to go. No kick pedal. Oof. And so I go to the band that opened before us as they're leaving. And I'm like, I know this sucks. And I was like, I'll get it back to you. I'll do whatever it takes. And they're like, I'm sorry. And I was like, I get it. I wouldn't leave my kick pedal if I had to drive back to Santa Monica or whatever. Like, I don't know yeah. these people. If it was someone I knew and I knew I'd get it back, whatever. You help someone out. But like, these guys didn't know us and whatever. <laughs> I do not advocate this level of speed and disregard of red lights. <laughs> but I got in my car. I will. I made it from the Escondite. Okay, so I named the venue, but Skid Rokio, right? Yeah. To where you're at. Yeah. And got the kick pedal back. I want to say in 14 minutes. Like <laughs> it's probably 20 minutes roughly each way with no traffic, right? Just distance door to door safely. 15, 20 each, right? Yeah, at least at least 15. <laughs> <laughs> at least i made it there in one length of the trip and back with the kick pedal and i get there and there are two songs in no drums they just whatever man put yeah. the kick pedal in clipped it on bop, 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 start playing good I to wonder, go from there but i wonder if i was on that gig or you just told me about it so i feel like i was <laughs> i do not remember there's obviously a lot of of escondite shows and and uh all a lot of that crossover but Epic fail on my part. That's an example of like drumsticks. Like you can't show up to a gig without drumsticks. I had this rule for a long time that I just had a pair underneath my seat in my car. That's just like it, they're rolling yeah. around the whole time. You never, <laughs> you know, but like you get to the gig and you're like, dude, you're such a boner. You didn't forget drumsticks. The car sticks, you know, sticks. or, you know, <laughs> so I always tried to have a really good level of preparation. And as a drummer, there's so many literal nuts and bolts that you got to like organize and all of that kind of stuff. You got to, you have to get there early and you have to do all those things, but Epic fails when you either perform bad, which I've had some of, and um, I was listening to your uh, first podcast with your, your homeboy. And oh yeah. When you guys were talking about stage fright and, and, I even had a, a recent conversation where I typed up the thing about preparation and that's how I combat someone's ability for stage fright. Cause yeah, man, when you're super prepared, you're, you're ready to go. You know, the gigs I've probably failed as a performer, um, you know, there's always the times where it's a sweaty night and stick flies out of your hand. There's like nothing you can do about it. There's the time at lot one where my throne fell off the back but it was only like a one inch fall off the back of the stage or like a one and a half inch fall. So I just fell into the back of the window, <laughs> but the drum stopped, you know, like there's, there's epic fails you have because something freakish happens, right? There's epic right. fails you have because you're not prepared and you just play bad. Those are the ones that always, I laugh about the, the, the freakish ones. Cause what are you going to do? Right. Like oh, that's yeah. just funny. Right. The ones you're not prepared for, I always feel really bad about because you're not only as a drummer, especially too, you're not just playing for you. You're really playing for whatever artist or band or whatever, you know, yeah. um, there's epic fails and I don't drink anymore, but uh, there was a time where we got on stage once and maybe we're being a little silly ahead of time and probably should have enjoyed some activities after the show but we did a little bit in front of and i mean that was mixed with epic fails i mean my drum kit was falling off the riser as i was falling apart as a player and like <laughs> you know 
And then there's the epic fails of like your the ones that I feel like even sting as much as you not playing well, but sometimes way more is when you have that really good show and it's for like five to 15 people and maybe one of those five people actually care about what you just did and you just poured your heart and soul out there yeah those those made me emotionally like a little like those are the ones that you know you play a lot of gigs and and you're going to be practicing you're going to do everything you can for that gig and then it's just like wasn't the right venue wasn't the right night wasn't the right people whatever the reasons are maybe you aren't that great of a fan whatever it is you gave it your all and like you know i was thinking back to that first podcast you did too where you know you talk a little bit about that exchange of the crowd and like i love the feeding off the energy of the crowd and when you're pushing everything out and getting absolutely nothing back it's painful man you know so yeah Oh man, it's epic draining. fails, man. Tons of them. I, I, I'd probably say I've had way more bad gigs, but again, for so many reasons, I, I try to limit the ones that I'm not prepared for. Um, sure. Well, it doesn't but, even uh, necessarily have to be an epic fail of a story, but I know there was some ones that we were talking about that are that I would love to just hear you throw walk them out us there, man. through. Get a, like like the, the the bingo thing where it shoots the ball out. Give me one. Yeah, or like the pitching batting cage. The pitching, yeah, exactly. Tell me about the, uh, oh, let, let's talk about the summer of Susie, man. Cause like, mm. <laughs> I remember there was a couple stories from that, that, and I know we, t- we, we glossed over some of these with, with the Vols podcast too, but it's still like, just to hear your perspective from some of these, um, I want to say this was the same city stock and I don't want to slander specifically any one person here. There was a time where. Things got a little out of hand. There was a, t- a lot of times where things were getting out of hand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you also perform with a certain punk rock attitude, even if you're not playing punk rock music. You yeah. kind of are like, well, whatever. We're gonna we're gonna give you what we got. And there's there's a couple of really good shows there that that stick out in mind. Um, there was the city stock. <laughs> incident which good, is documented I don't, I don't think we talked about this so this is good so city stock <laughs> is a is a event that kind of got to be cool enough to get invited to i believe still all um, right yeah but really cool people uh put on a, a re, i believe around encino and um we were playing with burley temple and uh there was a hip check from frankie j ranky a very minor one right but it caused a collision which broke a guitar stand and knocked a drum kit like out of like <laughs> you this one man but like one simple hip check can literally destroy a guitar stand you got to be careful out there um <laughs> there was a city stock where someone again i don't want to slander any particular individuals but you did ask a specific era and time where someone was running around <laughs> It was still covering the genital regions, but was just specifically underwear. And most people at City Stock at least (laughs) had like bathing suits or like their regular clothes on. Yeah. Um, But I feel, I don't know if you guys touched on this on Volz's or not, but there was the time at Angel City Brewery where. Yes. Tell me about that one. I remember that was a great story. So this is, I believe they call it a parlay in gambling where you lead one into the other or whatever it is. But. Um, we're at city stock and it's, 
I remember, I remember the, this one pretty well because we're in the middle of August and I want to say it was uh, Echo Park Rising too, but there was an event at Angel City Brewery. So we were going to do Angel City Brewery and then head over to Rafa's right. and do the infamous Rafa's during uh, Echo Park Rising, which I know we've done a couple of and they get blurry, but let's start at Angel City Brewery and then get to Rafa's. I guess we'll do it chronologically. Okay. So we're at Angel City Brewery. And, you know, we're having a good time. We're, we're doing all right. We're having, a, we're having a pretty good show. Good response with the crowd. We're playing pretty well. I'd say all those factors that kind of can make a show bad are pretty in check. We're doing pretty good. <laughs> and then uh, since you did ask about Susie, this is a well-known story. But And I think it is on your other podcast. But uh, <laughs> Susie breaks the string. And I think... Up until this point, some pants have been removed. And if it's to my knowledge, this is like the dirt. I don't know if you ever read the dirt by Motley Crue, but you get like one version of a story. And then the next chapter is like, no, that fool has it completely wrong. This is how it happened. Right. So like I say, sometimes you live a lot of life and it's hard to remember this, but this is my from, and you always have a good perspective from the drum riser, right. Or even the back of the stage. I like to say drum risers, like I've actually played on a lot of risers. It's usually the back of the stage, right. Um, Corner of the bar corner of the bar back of the wall like <laughs> whatever up against the window you know yeah. hey you at least got a place to play yeah. so from but you always have a good vantage point of just like any situation I, and there is another story from my vantage point that involves you all i remember too but oh uh, yeah i bet the, were you squared up on the same individual i've been saving that story uh, well then i'll let but, you go into further details later but uh, yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, Anyways, continue. Angel City Brewery, some pants have been removed, and Susie breaks his string and runs out to his car. He's got strings in his car, not in his bag, whatever. They're out in his car. <laughs> so what I imagine from my standpoint is I see Susie take off and disappear, no pants. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I imagine Susie's perspective is from this point where I lost viewpoint of him. Because again, I'm on playing Susie. I see Susie break a string, throws his guitar down, beelines it out. Susie disappears. Susie then runs through Angel City Brewery, where he is then, I believe, side tackled by security because he is a hot, sweaty guy with no <laughs> clothes on other than his underwear running through the middle of the brewery. <laughs> They don't know he's the guy in the band and that he needs a string. Of course, why wouldn't they know that? Of course. All they turn around and see, wait a minute, <laughs> that guy that came from the back room is now in the front room and he has no clothes. This, this <laughs> dude's on acid. Tackled. He gets absolutely tackled. I don't know how he ends up explaining to them that that is the situation. Runs out to his car, gets his string, and then we're back to my vantage point where Susie enters back in the frame. So all I see is Susie, no pants, run. Susie, come back run has string but it did take a little while right strings yeah. up his guitar and i will say this i've performed with john susie a lot and i've seen that dude smoke a cigarette play a guitar solo and string his guitar all at the same time <laughs> <laughs> i literally did he took a string once wound it and tuned it with one hand while he was smoking and playing another set of strings during a solo it was amazing <laughs> How many yeah. hands does this guy have? Well, you don't need a hand to smoke a cigarette. You just got to put it in your mouth, pull the string up. You got one hand to tune the string, one hand to play the other strings, and you can still smoke while the cigarette's in your mouth. Okay. Yeah. 
Actually, I was you know, thinking... stringing up a, and soloing at the same time is like the tuning of the note is the solo. <laughs> a little bit. It had to be in there. Yeah. yeah, it had to be in there. You just get jazzy with it. You get yeah. um, uh, bitches brew with it a little bit or sure. King Crimson or whatever. You know, you just push the boundary for a quick second. But oh, anyways, yeah. um, where Susie got tackled was very interesting, but then we then left that gig and went to Rafa's. And again, I think it's Echo Park Rising. It's the middle of August. Rafa's is in the middle of the building. Like it's like a midsection club venue, whatever. It's always hot as hell in Rafa's. It's always oh, hot yeah. as hell. So on oh, the yeah. hottest days, like it's hot as hell. And oh, because yeah. those other two fools, I, I got to, again, Susie wasn't the only one to take his pants off. I think Bulls did too. And they kind of humped each other a little bit while they did guitar solos. I wish there was more, talk about wishing there was more footage of things. I think, I think <laughs> one of them. Um, I was but at then we're show. at Rafa's <laughs> and I want to take credit for it, but I said, why don't we all take our clothes off? It's hot as hell. Like, let's all do it. And so this yeah. is on YouTube. You can find it. Uh trying to remember what song would be the best but it's a blackwater performance rafa's i want to say it's like heave away maybe or something um and uh it's risque it's triple x oh it's the look for the triple x one blackwater jukebox triple x yeah it's not triple <laughs> x but um it is very risque we don't have any clothes on we are super sweaty right. and um yeah you can you can check out the video on youtube it's 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 something you can't escape the internet on and that's that's out there so um but rafa's crazy Crazy, crazy venue, crazy day, people getting tackled, sweaty people with no clothes on. Um, that would be an example of where you're coming into the show with a little bit of attitude for sure. But it was Rafa's Lounge. How do you not play a show at Rafa's Lounge with that attitude? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You, you know? But... I feel like every time we played that venue, because that that was after I, was, I wasn't in the band at, at that point. Uh, I... I so I actually went to that show at Rafa's. So I was there for the, I remember that you guys like half naked on stage. But uh, every time we played Rafa's, I felt like was a story. Like the first time oh. we played there, I, and I didn't, I remember the first time we played there. Uh, and this was like, you know, one of the first 10, 15 gigs I did in LA. And we did like a, like a, what would you call it? Like a summary at the end, me and Jordy and Sam, our friend, Sam Hayes, uh, after the show. And like, he, you know, he, I, it's one thing to be playing. It's another thing to just be like a fly on the wall and like being able to witness everything. And there were so many things that happened that night that like Sam told us about. There was like, oh, I didn't even know that shit, you know, but that, that place there was like, they, at least at the time they had like the saloon doors, for the bathroom, oh, the bathroom, <laughs> the and and these are like, like it's a not that big of an art space kind of thing. So like the bathroom's kind of in the center of everything, and they just have these like saloon doors. And at one point, uh, the 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 one girl in in Blackwater, uh, Heather, um, Heather Kano, like walked into the bathroom, and there's just like people banging. Like I was gonna, well, I was gonna say that, uh, like. Yeah. You after a couple shows at Rafa's, you realized that yes, you were looking forward to what stories you were going to be telling after you left Rafa's. Yeah, uh, story of, of fornication in the bathroom for sure. Fights we've seen fights, fights. Uh, but those 
those unfortunate, I don't, I've never liked fights and those usually kind of got riled up. Um, I think Vols talked about it where uh, you'd want to be very careful with whatever you brought to the party because the security guards would like, it's like going to a party uh, with beer yeah. and all the people drinking your beer. Like I'll just leave right. it at that, you know? but like, yeah. always crazy stuff happening. And pe- the people that would come in and out because it was kind of like a place you fell upon accidentally. So you had people that would come to your show, but then you would have 25 to 50% of a night that were just people getting lost trying to find the echoplex or whatever right. or people who were drunk going down sunset and could hear the bands through the, the stair or whatever it was and sometimes it was awesome and it would create these very interesting like dynamics and sometimes it was like dude i'm grabbing my drums and uh, let's go chill at so-and-so's house and get a burrito because it's gonna get stupid here because i just know? got but electrocuted by the mic nine times <laughs> people getting electrocuted by mics yeah i mean uh gosh uh, but a dude that would let you just come and pretty much do it ever. I mean, I had, uh, you know, you were talking about Tower Cover Fungus on the phone. Like, dude, we did our first show there. You know, oh. it was like a venue you knew you could go to the dude and be like, hey, I got this thing. And you'd be like, all right, you know. Sure. And if anyone's ever booked a show in Los Angeles, the people who has, have a space and will let you do whatever you want, whenever you want, is pretty rare there too you know so oh yeah there's some great there's always there's always benefits to crazy places like that too it's not just always chaos like you know part of that is you foster just like yeah man you're cool people you got a band come play i love it i love that stuff totally and the chaos is the fun stories but yeah some great memories there Mm -hmm. uh just one more just because it's just such a funny visual to me of playing there that that sam told me about after that first show was like so there's like just to picture it there's like a few different rooms there's like the band room and there's like the bar area and there's like this other kind of like just off to the side art space room kind of thing and he said like there's this one point of the night where it was like between bands and it's like quiet and there's like handful of people just like just drawing painting doing their art thing all chill and he just was kind of like kind of walked in there and just kind of said, and was like, wow, this is like a kind of a cool vibe in here. And this dude just like walks in and just barfs right <laughs> in the center of the room <laughs> and just completely, like every just cleared out. Like all these people are just sitting. <laughs> this is such a beautiful moment. Yeah. <laughs> Just like That's the, how I would explain Rafa's that <laughs> moment exactly, right there. Yeah, exactly. It paints the picture of both sides of the coin. Unreal. Yep. <laughs> Unreal. Wow. So yeah. Oh, dude, tell me about. Uh, oh well, I guess we were talking about the. You said another story from your your drum perspective, of that. Uh, that uh, yeah, a fellow musician, not to again name names, but a similar <laughs> circle we've been discussing, I believe, threw his guitar at you. And I've never seen you square up on anyone. <laughs> like, Silly time. Sh- shoulder to shoulder, I was like, again, <laughs> the drummer always has the best vantage point. I was like, is he gonna swing? Is he gonna connect? Is he gonna knock this fool out? And you, you were a good person and you took a breath and you got your base up and you inspected it a million times looking for nicks and damages. And I think for the most part, it might've gotten a little scathed, but I'm glad you didn't swing and connect. Um, I've never seen you 
hey, be throwing something at in that manner. Sometimes things get thrown at you when you play gigs, for sure, but usually it's not <laughs> by your guitarist, and oh it's usually God. not his guitar. When you throw a guitar, you usually throw a guitar out, not necessarily like into the Towards stage. Towards the stage, yeah. Or oh the next God. person near you. Um, but yeah, it hit you, it hit your guitar, and then it was almost like a hockey fight from that point. I was like, is this about to happen? And and you guys skated a minute, but you didn't, you didn't swing. So that, that vantage point was, was something to remember too. It's the only time in my life that I've ever like, like saw red, like yeah. just blacked out almost like where but you, you, you luckily didn't, didn't follow through on the red. So that's all yeah. Good. Well, it's also yeah. the only time in my life I think I've ever literally stopped playing mid like we were 30 seconds to the end of the song and just to back up a little bit so the dude this was like his second or third show of the day and it's still like the afternoon and he's you know he's been imbibing let's say and he's like out in the crowd like just getting in people's faces which is all well and good you know if people are digging it but everybody's just like moving away from him, like what is going on? And he's just keep continuing out, going out into the crowd, just like, all right, this is happening. And so what happens was, or what happens was, what happened was his, he like, he's like soloing and he went for something and the, according to him, like the bridge of his guitar just like pops off. Like, literally, his guitar just, like, fell apart in the mid-solo. And so what does he think to do? I'm just going to throw my guitar. <laughs> and according to him, he, he I, I know there was no ill intention. Like, he was sure, throwing it. Sure. At, but yeah. he literally threw it. He's, he was in the crowd, so he threw it at the stage. And, <laughs> and we're, like, we're, like, jamming at the end of the song. Like, this is, like, the climax of the song. And I'm right next to to the lead singer. I'm right next to Jordy, just like rocking out. And I remember kind of like looking down and I just had this like peripheral of like something is in the air. Yeah. But I just like, it didn't register because I'm like focusing on the song and I'm just like, what, it's a bird or something, right? What would, what would be, <laughs> nothing's hurtling towards me. And then I just feel this impact on my bass. <laughs> And I just look up and I just see our dude just like kind of like penguin walking just like towards the stage, just like in a daze. And just I just realized what I see the guitar on the ground and just realized what happened. I literally just stopped and I like walked towards him to to punch him. Like it was I just like saw red and then the like the band just stopped like you guys just stopped and mm. so it goes and i i remember grabbing him by the shirt like i was about to i was about to hit him and then you guys stop so like suddenly it's silent and i just am in standing in front of the stage with with my friend in my hand. yeah <laughs> That might have done it. I might have. I might have done it if you would have done. But connect, get a little crash I, hit with it. Right. I think the silence just kind of like popped me out of the the freaking trance I was in for two seconds, and I just realized that like everyone is looking at me from all sides, the band behind me and the the audience, 
and then I just like stopped and I just like pulled him close and just went, don't ever fucking do that again, dude. And he just kind of like gave me a head nod and was just like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and no, I would love, I, and he felt bad. Yeah. He felt bad. Yeah. I know. Million apology apologies, and the base was fine. I did inspect it very, uh, very carefully. But yeah, projectile, <laughs> hockey fight. Drummer always has the best view, man. Yeah, <laughs> always has the best view. Oh man, I've been sitting on that story to wait till someone that was there uh, could give me their perspective. So, and I, that. now that I think about it, the drummer has the best view of what the band does. And sometimes what rad, rowdy stuff happens in the crowd, but the crowd usually never has the best view of the drummer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they don't know true. what he's doing back there or she. Ev- evidenced by millions of pictures where totally. the drummer is, is not. You see a symbol or a hi hat. That's it. Just sticking out <laughs> yeah. of someone's corner. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, man. Do you want to tell a desert story? I mean, there's a bunch of those too. <sighs> man. Well, um, I know maybe some of them are, are too X-rated or or too uh, there are some too racy stuff that happens. Out, yeah, there's some rowdy <laughs> stuff that happens out there. I know the, we're trying to keep it clean here. And the, <laughs> again, the problem with 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 the the palms, and I, I know you guys touched on that place and Bulls is one. The first oh, yeah. gig was was classic because we didn't really know what to expect, and that's always such a fun thing when you think back to a place you end up frequenting or whatever about like your first experience there or whatever but right yeah we get there and like we're getting ready to order just some tacos and like hold on we're suspending all drinks and and food service for the next 45 minutes so we can go play a set i've never been to any establishment that did that they did they played their set they got back tacos burgers drinks back to it yeah i Um, think that first time they didn't they might not have even said anything, and I just well, like they had, did to me order. because I order. I was one of the last orders before they closed oh, the bar down. So they told they explained to me the, the situation. I don't think they told me. I had think I had ordered, and I was just like, "Wait, where did that? Where did the whole staff go?" <laughs> and then it was like, "I gotta play soon. Can I get my burger?" But yeah, that's funny. There was that one show. I remember climbing up on the rack when we were outside. Um, there were only a few shows that I think we played inside there i feel like a lot of them were on the stage in the back of the palms and the one where i climbed up on the rack um was just doing some cowbell i think pierre luigi was on drums or something oh yeah um there was the time again back to susie there was a little bit of a dog scuffle and he got accidentally bit by his dog and was like filling in on bass that night or something and like his finger was I mean, like oh, talk about man. a trooper, man. He had played he played basically like a freshly dog bitten finger or whatever. Oh like, damn. Crazy stuff. Um such a unique place, man. Uh anyone that's spent any time out in Mojave or just to relax, even not even so much for like musical experiences, but when you get artists out there and you guys do gigs, um there were even a couple like acoustic performances, I want to say by like Christian Lee Hudson, like at the house, you know, that were just like, right. you know, because a lot of a lot of the musicians that rolled in that circle too could could really kill like an acoustic thing, you know. I'm I'm kind of overdone by a lot of like just like a dude and a guitar with an acoustic, but like every once in a while people can grab you and you're like, whoa, you know, and well, so there's and like little 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 performances that again, a lot of that, a lot of that kind of desert stuff blends together, but well, and one of your your and my favorites, Tommy Santa Claus, uh, they had some epic performances out there too. I remember oh. they were all dressed in white. For one, do you remember that? 
in the uh, in the desert in the, in the, i'm pretty sure i mean maybe they did that a couple times but i think it was i think it was in the desert the two of them there there's the one they had the flashlights on the heads were you there for that one i think it was like what their album release at the echo country outpost that to me was a time where it was again i deviates from the desert but uh that's the show that i went to as a fan yeah like the band local band people you knew venue you knew but you were still a fan of these people and and i want to say yeah they came out they had these like uh flashlights on their foreheads and it was a packed outpost so roughly what 100 people but like shoulder to shoulder you know and for the 50 minutes or whatever they played those 100 people didn't say fucking word yeah and i'm like oh i mean yeah i mean there was a lot of great great stuff we did out in the desert and a lot of stuff through the outpost and all that but i mean yeah when we talked tommy standing claus that one in particular i want to say it was an album release and i want to say it was the head headlamp show and i may again get some details wrong but i remember just being in this room with people and their performance was on point i mean it was like tear jerking you know and i yeah. think multiple people in the crowd were crying you know and it's like sure dude you know like sweetness absolutely yeah literally literally during the sweetness yeah. <laughs> during the sweetness yeah oh, that's awesome man yeah i that was definitely one of my favorites favorite locals and um so you're now in chattanooga mm-hmm. i mean you- chattanooga about Four or five months ago, I was uh, I moved to Texas for a couple of years after I left LA. Did some work with School of Rock and and uh, just outside of Houston, um, and just whatever humidity, uh, too many <laughs> strip malls and just flat. So oh, yeah. uh, Vols, good mutual friend, has for many years been bothering me to move to Chattanooga, but after all the craziness and like knowing i wanted to find a new place but feeling really lost for a couple of years it just seemed like go where you know people and try something new and see how it goes and so far i'm loving it and literally i want to say it was yet yeah, what's today friday so this would have been wednesday chattanooga unleashed like its biggest and best like asset and i don't even want to tell people because i don't want them to move here and like take the city up on it i want to exploit it for myself and i know Vols feels the same way okay the chattanooga public library has a full-fledged recording studio that you can check out as a member of the library like a book wow you want two hours a day and it comes and so here's the deal we did a um they have this series it's uh, performances at the library so Vols is like, hey, we're going to do this, this set at the library. We're going to record it. Cool. And they, he was telling me that they had built this recording studio at the library. So I'm thinking like an eight channel mixer on top of like a little table with like maybe a couple monitors, maybe a laptop, a couple mics, you know, yeah. maybe a couple things on the wall. Do we roll in full acoustical treatment, humongous monitors, both audio and video, massive SSL board, uh isolation wow. booths patch bays i mean it is a beautiful studio and so uh 
we're going to stay very busy there. Yeah. Um, I did not want to, I did not want to, yeah, I did not want to, but you have to be a member of the library. You cannot just check it out if you're not. So support your local library. And if your local library does not have a recording studio, find the ways to make that happen because it comes with the engineer too, dude. That's what I was going to say. I was like, does it? No, they do not let you touch these things by yourself. Right. And you got to get buzzed in and all this stuff. But uh, we met the engineer, a gentleman by the name of Sam, super cool dude. Got got his contact. We're going to get together. Um, Vols has some plans. I have some plans. Uh, Some of them plans together. Yeah. It's, and even just for a little project, man, you want to go lay down some scratch guitar tracks go in there for two hours a day and what he was saying too is like okay maybe we're working on a couple vols's tracks or whatever like i can check out two hours after vols and now we have a four Four hour hour. dude and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful studio it's great i mean for what they use and how they design it i mean it's unreal but um yeah don't tell anybody you can uh i'm I'm joking when i say this next part you can delete that part of the podcast out (laughs) you you can leave it in it's amazing um chattanooga is a pretty cool town the 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 bit of the scene that i've seen so far is very well connected everybody knows each other and chattanooga is not a very big city so everybody knows everybody anyway but i feel like as i'm getting introduced to musicians and as i'm meeting more people like so and so knows so and so and oh i know that person and it's like it's super well connected very eclectic and artsy a lot of people do art in addition to music and just really cool interesting people obviously you're adjacent to nashville but i feel like you got enough space that it's not like um i know some artists where we were at a a rehearsal space temporarily like work with people in nashville that are living in chattanooga because it's cheaper and if you're just touring constantly it really doesn't matter where you live or whatever but then you can still get up to rehearsals pretty quickly if you're up in nashville so I'm digging on Chattanooga. Obviously, the library thing's really good, but I also got a um, job teaching at a music conservatory out here, and uh, it's awesome. a prestigious one that's been in the area for a really long time. Um, it's a really good opportunity, but they've been predominantly operating as a conservatory and doing a lot of like violin, piano, voice, that kind of stuff. But they want to they want to add some contemporary elements to the program and really keep the traditions in classical music, but also address the needs of artists. And and their mission statement has this really cool thing about establishing residencies for artists in the area. So they really want to foster, um, obviously, not only good environment for the students that are in the area, um, but you know, for the teachers that are working there too, and really give them an opportunity for that. So um, I'm really excited about that. I just started with my first term. Um, so things are going to be new, but I'll be teaching some clinics and camps and doing some things through that conservatory. I'm really excited about. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I know <clears throat> you've really leaned heavy into the, into the teaching side over the years. And, uh, I gotta say, I like, like looking back, um, before you left to LA, I remember, you know, you had a bunch of students and we did a couple of kind of, what do you call it? Like a co thing where like it was a performance in our, in our basement area where I got to kind of see you teach basically. Cause we, you know, you, you hired me and a, and a guitarist to, to play with your students, drum students. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I gotta say, man, like I really felt like you were just like in your element. Like, uh, it was really cool to see you teach. Like, it was it was something I'd I've known you as a musician and a friend and performed with you a thousand times, 
but to see you teach like it was it was a really cool different side to see of you and i was like yeah this is like something that he's good at this like you know so i I don't know if i ever told you that but no i appreciate that that's awesome yeah i mean it's it's something over the years that i haven't been able to like avoid like i've realized there is this level of comfort in there and like i really do enjoy doing it and i'm very very passionate about it and i love seeing like like i was telling you with my kid that's going to lacm and all of that like I, i just love seeing like their improvement and how they grow and i ended up realizing i was doing a lot of mentorship using drums as a vehicle but you teach someone yeah. long enough man you start you start peeling onions more and diving deeper into things but totally i got into teaching because uh I, when i moved out to la to uh study at llama at the time i w- had worked as a personal trainer before and still work as a personal trainer to this day occasionally on and off just to you know cover things and do all of that. But I learned that a lot of skills working one-on-one in the fitness area. And, and when I got out to Llama and I just saw the levels of players, I was really intimidated by just talent, you know? And I was like, well, I may not be able to compete with everybody like from a shredder standpoint. I'm not, I, well, I wasn't the best in my class and by far not the best drummer available to people. But like I knew I could teach. I knew I've worked with people before. I knew I could do it. Um, And I knew essentially the business model of a private lesson instructor was very similar to what like a personal trainer does. It's almost the same thing, maybe different pay scales and different economics of it, but you're still in hourly service type. um, One-on-one, yeah. One-on-one employee service-based industry type thing, right? So... I understood the business of it really well because I had worked for gyms that were really corporate and all about sales and stuff. And, you know, like, even though you do things in life that may not be directly related to your goals, they're always directly related to your goals. The things I learned about sales and working with people and all those skills as a personal trainer, I just totally was like, I know I can do that as a private lesson instructor. And as most musicians know, it's one way you kind of can make a living, you know, a lot of music can be ups and downs as far as how you make your living and certain gigs pay well, certain gigs don't pay at all. I mean, it's all over the place, but generally people are like, I can teach, it's a service, I can do that. So a lot of people lean into that anyway, just because you've got to make a living as a musician, you know, but once I started teaching, I mean, and I fumbled around my first couple of years doing the private lessons and started to really understand the actual like pedagogy and really how to line up how students progress and how different students would learn the same lessons and approach them totally differently and how you had to have different ways to connect to how people learn differently. And over time, I was like, wow, there's actually really something to this. And, you know, I've even, after going back into personal training and stuff, I see how they really reinforce each other. Um, But yeah, always really enjoyed teaching. um, I'm very excited to do it. Um, I'm really excited about this new opportunity and, um, yeah, fortunate that I've actually been able to make a living. And, and that was something when I was going to school, I was like, again, you know, I love performance. I love, it's one of my favorite things to do, but I know I can make a living teaching, you know, so I always pursue it. And I'm glad that I have. That's awesome, sure. man. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, what are your like current irons in the fire project stuff i know you got cuddle face your own stuff and 
Got some stuff yeah, brewing with Vols. What's I'm I'm I'm, pra- I'm doing some some gigs with Vols. He's working on getting. In, we've been working as a duo, and and he's been doing a lot of like kind of spoken words, storytelling stuff. You know it. You know his bag, but it's really stripped down. And so I'm I'm working with him, but having just moved here and just kind of lining up all my other points of life, some of the projects have been a little bit on on hold. I do want to get back to writing more Cuddleface. That was a project that I did when. I wrote the first Cuddle Face song in LA, but um, when everything obviously shut down, when I moved to Texas, I knew I was going to take a break from performance. And I did want to say, my goal was to record an EP. I just wanted to put out an EP that I did all by myself, whatever. Just have fun learning the ins and outs of recording. And, you know, I've always been a performer in a studio and, and I've been in studios for a lot, but I haven't really turned a lot of knobs myself. And Um, that was a, that was just a fun way to just like, dude, it doesn't, I don't care how it comes out. I just want to, I want to see the process through and I just want to have fun learning from it. And I feel like, I don't know if the songs themselves get any better, but you can hear like little production quality improvements, like each song and, you know, it's, it's just a, a fun process, but, um, that's been a little bit on hold since I moved, but I do plan to start writing again and, and just, just for the fun of that. Um, and then, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really just looking forward to meeting, uh musicians in the area getting connected to some new people um we've we've gone to a couple harder rock kind of more metal type bands uh around the area and and there's a little scene for it too so it's kind of comforting knowing you know i felt like living in la like i don't know harder music wasn't really as cool as most other stuff you know but like i don't know from what i've seen here there's there's a little corner where it's like yep people want to kind of throw down a little bit you know so Obviously, that's a style of music I've always really been into, but I've been listening to a ton of jazz. And because the the practice kit I have in my apartment's a lot smaller, been playing a lot more lower dynamic stuff when I'm practicing. So I'm looking forward to just putting a lot to a lot of lot, uh, I don't know what the references you use, but like the, the pots and the fires. I'm I'm looking forward to doing that. I just feel like moving cut put a few things on hold and and it's sure. just kind of like getting those machines back up again. So that's fair. Yeah. What what uh do you have, I mean, you touched a little bit on this way earlier, but you said you had like some goal, you know, some general goals for like, I think you said venues played or, but, but just in general with your career, do you have, do you have anything that you kind of keep as like the carrot or, or something you're trying to get to? Well, obviously like, you know, bigger shows than you've played before, you know? And And as, as I've been doing this for, many decades now uh i'm all about the incremental approach you know i'm not trying to get to wembley but i would say just as a fan just as a longtime lover of music like red rocks is somewhere i would love to play yeah i don't care who it is that that's a venue that i was like even if i can just do it once i could almost like i'll play golf for a while i'm good to go like let's just hang out like i'm good (laughs) you know um and obviously just you know moving the level up um uh yeah i i I think for me the realistic thing is first get into my most local community because as you well know the best way to get gigs is having gigs and um i just need to get connected with a few more people just start gigging a little bit more um, and then I feel like I'll kind of have a better understanding of, you know, where I want to take it, but obviously like bigger shows than you've played before and always moving up. I've always wanted to, you know, kind of tour on a professional level. 
I know it's hard to really balance a teaching and a touring schedule because, you know, it just kind of is, but there's, there's going to be a point in my life where I might put teaching down for a little bit and really just kind of travel a little bit. And even if it's shows on weekends or whatever, I mean, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain because, you know, coming full circle, watching those Bon Jovi videos. I mean, what was he playing? Madison Square Garden or whatever, you know? And it's like, that's always the goal. I mean, I want to hit that kick drum and just have it thump you in the chest. And, you know, although you're, you know, most things are in ears nowadays or whatever, but like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just, yeah. just the big venues, the good shows, quality artists. Um, but I, I, I definitely want to balance out that scale of like, yeah, I've played a lot of crappy shows. Like, yeah, I want to turn it around and I want a more favorable look on things. And so while Red Rocks is, is, is still a goal of like, man, I can definitely feel very accomplished when I play that place. I'll take a similar venue. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a similar gig, you know, or yeah, whatever. Sure. Um, but just, just progress, man. I feel like I don't want to feel complacent and I know I got to kind of reset myself at a more local level right now, but you know, you just start building those gigs and just start, start moving forward. So I don't know if I even answered your question, but that's, it's just, it's all about incremental. I realize it's, it's Red Rocks is out there. Madison Square Garden is still out there. I've never played those places, but my realistic thing is like, fill out the 200s, fill out the 500s, fill out the thousands, go back yeah. up and just keep working your way up so you can really do it, you know, just and keep progressing. Yeah. 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 So you would still tour though. Like if you but got for that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, technically I'm still single. I don't have kids. I mean, yeah. Dude, you know, I would totally do it. So if, you know, if anyone calls, you know, there you go. Um, but in obviously, the Chattanooga area. <laughs> I'm in the Chattanooga area. Yeah. Um, but obviously this new teaching gig is going to take over for at least the next year or so and really dive deep into that. And is that drum is it fully drum teaching drums or is it? Yeah. So it'd be drum yeah. private lessons, but I'll be doing some, some clinics and camps and some additional like workshops and stuff through the school. I might be assisting in some class lectures. Um, the conservatory is, is actually part of a private school. And so um, I'll probably be again, yeah, doing guest lectures and things as part of the private school too. So right on. Yeah. Do you have uh, any any like what do you, like what have you been listening to? Anything you want to like recommend? Oh, of course, yeah, man, all kinds of good stuff. Um, I've really been into this band. I heard their singer pronounce it idols, but I would yes. pronounce it idols. I D E L S or L E S idols. Okay, yeah. Guys out of England, Britain, amazing band. Kind of has this like singer who yells into the mic, but like really cool band kind of like you remember that band battles that i was really into yeah yeah if you took battles meets like uh something edgier just kind of more straight on rock <laughs> um great rock band uh they just played nashville a couple weeks ago i missed them there but uh, idols i've been into they're coming out with a new album some of my harder bands came out with new albums like Mastodon just dropped a new one, which is awesome. Uh, Every Time I Die is a band I've been into lately. They just dropped a new one. It's like more hardcore music for mosh pits, you know. Um, on the non-heavier side, um, like I say, I've been diving into a lot of, lot of jazz and as a drummer, you tend to go to like the bebop era because that's where all the drum solos are. But I've been also trying to get into a lot of just the vocal jazz stuff. So like Tony Bennett, Ella Fitzgerald, you okay. know, just 
expanding, just growing out there. Because like I say, when I think jazz, I think bebop and drum solos, but yet there's a lot of beautiful music out there that's not just that stuff. And so swing era, you know, but a lot lately it's been more kind of like vocal stuff, Frank Sinatra, you know, that kind of stuff. That's interesting. Um, Tyler, the creator put out a album when I kind of first got to Chattanooga and me and Vols were tripping on that for a while. It's awesome. So good. Um, that's more on the hip hop side of things. Um, but yeah, I'd say honestly, man, a lot of, a lot of jazz been listening to a lot of jazz lately. So that's cool. Yeah. Wide range. Yeah. So do you want to tell, uh, in kind of closing story, the, the, we didn't get to the fuck the zebra story do you want to i don't <laughs> we can we can tell the the, the unless the, you the have fuck. one that you'd rather tell other if, if you there's know, something there's, else it, it, it's not so much like a uh crazy gig story but there is when i was just thinking of stories and things that happened to me there's almost like a cautionary tale okay i feel like i, I kind of maybe would want to end on this one and sure i would say this is very appropriate for those kind of like fresh out of school musicians and like people finding their way on, you know, okay, Perfect. well, I was surrounded by all this, but now what do I do with it? And uh, I won't name name of the bands, but this particular ensemble actually had a little moment of fame. And like, even people I went to high school with in Michigan, were like, I love those guys. And I was like, wow. And they invited me to do this like jam slash recording slash like writing session with them. And I don't remember what stick was up my butt that night. And I just was in this moment where I thought I was this like, I am a professional musician. You just need to pay me for my time. And probably even egotistical enough to be like, and you're lucky to have me. I don't know why I was even in this frame of mind. I mean, I've had a lot of dark eras in my life, and I'm sure this was maybe a night where certain things in my personal life were just really eating at me, and I was letting it approach this situation. But I went in and I jammed with these dudes, and we took a break. And I remember there was a mutual friend there, and I was kind of talking a little shit and I, this isn't really even like me. I don't. Yeah. I was going to say, no, a lot of this is like, I would not. I know, it, but people that don't a, know you, it's yeah, not. it's still a very cautionary tale because even on your worst of nights, you still got to keep yourself in check. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. And so again, I, it was, it was a long time ago and whatever. And I was just saying something and I was like, well, I don't know what these dudes are doing and they should be paying me. Cause we just talked about jamming or whatever. And I think what it was, these dudes were looking for a drummer and they knew me from previous like shows we had done together, but they were, they were up and rolling. And like I said, they had a, they had a little 15 minutes. I don't really even know what they're doing nowadays, but they had a little 15 minutes where they, they, they hit it and they invited me to play with them. And on this break, I kind of just was in a bad mood and talked some garbage and said the wrong thing. And I didn't realize that one of them was standing right there. Yeesh. Yeah. And he looked at me and he goes, you don't have to do this. And again, man, it's not my typical thing. And, and it was earlier on. So maybe I think that lesson for me was learned earlier and I didn't bring this into many later situations yeah. or whatever, but 
it's one that sticks me. I just remember because like it was like, okay, yeah, I know there's funny stories that we've done, and I know there's a lot of cool experience that we've had, but I'm this one just popped out as just like it's it's a story I do kind of regret, and it's not me at my best moment. I'm not trying to psychoanalyze any of my personal stuff, but I had a bad day and I had a bad night, and I said the wrong thing, and the person was standing right there. And I watched them to go on later with a different drummer to have at least a 15 minutes. You know, again, I don't know if they ever lasted much longer than that or whatever, but they hit a bump. And I, baby, in theory, could have been that drummer, you know, and and so I did. I think I learned that one pretty early on. And that's maybe why I've had better relationships with the shows and gigs and stuff that I have done is is I was like, wow, I I really effed that up, you know. Yeah. I mean, th- thank you so much for telling that story. I mean, that's a tough thing to to, to relive. You well, know? and, it, and, and I, when I frame it as a cautionary tale, I guess the point would be is like always be professional, like always be friendly, like always remember that it's a team sport, even if, I mean, especially, I guess I'm always coming from a drummer standpoint. Drummer is such a supportive role that like you have to be a team player and you have to be, you know, just just professional, smiling through your teeth, always nice, funny, all those things that 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 you really got to bring to the table, even if you don't want to be there, even if you don't think it's a good thing, and even if you don't think these people are going to amount to nothing, because <laughs> you never know who is and what they're going to do, and yeah, that, or who's listening, you, you know? or who's listening, yeah. you know, yeah, I th- I think that's a great that's a great lesson to learn. And it's unfortunate you had to obviously learn it the hard way, but, but who knows, maybe it was for the best either way. I, it probably was for the best, right? Um, Well, again, I look at it as, okay, I probably, that was one incident. I probably treated the next 500 incidents with much more grace and manner and professionalism and all of those things. It was earlier on and it was pretty close out of school. And, you know, I'm supposed to be this like, you know, I'm supposed to validate all the worth I just put into my previous year of education, but yet, man, you got you're starting at the bottom, man. You know, unless unless you came into school with something, most of us come out of it having spent time really engulfed in school, and you need to. And like, yeah, I just remember being probably a little too good for my own shoes and letting personal issues, I don't know, deal. And I don't know, man. You just gotta always treat everything because you never know how it's gonna turn out. You gotta treat it with with care and, and yeah, and just just be on point, even if you're not. You know. Yeah. So, well, and and I, you know, I played so many gigs with you. Like, I can I can attest to the fact that like I did not get that vibe from like yeah you you wouldn't have I I wouldn't have. Uh, you know, thought that you would have done that. So, so I think you did learn your lesson, you know, and mm-hmm. I think it's a, that's a great thing to bring up on a, on a, on this, because that's one of my like pet peeves too, is like, and even as a, as an audience member, like I really have a thing about like, don't talk shit about the band while you're on premises, like that you're watching. Like, and I, people do that all the time where, you know, you're watching a band and you're with a friend or a lady friend or whatever. And they're just like, yeah, this band sucks. Or like, yeah, I don't like, and it's just like, let's talk about it later. Like, you don't they know. They could be on their way up to you asking you to do a gig with them and then like hear that and be like, oh, well, you know, also, never mind. So it's that or the person behind you could be the singer's girlfriend, best friend, girlfriend. Best friend like anything 
and or mom, you know, there's stuff like that. I mean, there's a million stories like that. I mean, dude, I was just at a gig recently where I'm talking to the drummer and we're walking outside and we see like the the basically the the owner or manager or whatever of the bar who doesn't have the greatest bedside manner like we know that and as we're walking away the drummer drummer's just like talking shit about him like to me and I don't think he could hear us but I'm like dude do we have to like we're we're at the gig like can you not like I didn't want to say that but I'm I was just like trying to be like yeah let's yeah let's talk about it later you know like dude like I know the guy you don't like the guy and you had a thing with him but like do we have to talk about it like 40 feet from him <laughs> like yeah, while we're yeah. while we're at the gig like so it was like stuff like that where it's like do we you know have a little bit of of presence of mind to like I don't know I everybody's got their own if sometimes uh, everybody's got a, their a right to their own perspective on it but for me I'm like I don't know don't bite the hand that feeds and don't try not to uh I don't know like talk yourself out of the gig <laughs> well and and I have this thing where even if I see an artist or a band and you're perf they're performing and you're like okay what if for whatever reason you just you don't like them they're not doing a great job maybe they're not even that talented whatever they still got enough cojones to get up there and do it. And I feel like anyone who does that should get at least a certain, like not a participation trophy, but like a certain degree of respect for just that act. Right. Cause it takes a lot of courage to be able to like perform in front of people. And um, I heard an interview with Maynard from tool where he was talking about that. He said he was that dude in the back of the bar for a long time, like kind of talking garbage about people and realizing, Hey, wait, well, if I'm, coming from this standpoint of like, I know everything and I can do it. I might as well do it and see what I can do with it. Right. You know, and it, it does, it takes, yeah. it takes, it takes some courage to do it. So I, I have respect for people, even if they don't have it together, obviously after that respect goes, then yes, please try to have it together. Cause we all want to listen to good music and we all want to be inspired by a good performer and all of that. But yeah, you never know, man, you know, it's like, uh, it's, 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 hard for people to get out there and do it so you, everyone deserves a little just respect and just chill and then yeah and in comfort of of ears not around you if you have critiques that's probably the best time to use them you know yeah and i think i you know we touch on it like almost every podcast but like attitude you know is everything and that, well, I think and the that attitude that you bring into your ensemble too. players want to play with people like they love spending time with you know and yeah. if anyone's done any sort of like traveling with a band or studio work with a band you realize you spend way more time chilling with people than you do playing any amount of music you know and yeah. uh so the attitude you bring to any situation whether it's just on a bus in a car at the studio waiting for sound check loading in whatever lobby check whatever those things are like if you're like a person that's like, oh, sweet, he's here. Now I'm gonna, now this next 15 minutes is going to go like that by much better because I know it's not like so-and-so that's going to be like, oh, you know, like that's super important because it is, it's a team sport and, you know, attitude that you bring to it, it, it means everything, you know? 
And yeah, you never know by having such a good attitude where that's going to get you. You know, people like working with you. They're going to recommend you. It's the way you move up. You know? They might invite you to move into their amazing apartment and then you turn it into a <laughs> recording studio and live there for eight plus years and still fucking chat after knowing each other for 10 plus years. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Even on a podcast. And then you're on, on you know, yeah, I invite you on your podcast. But yeah, exactly. Dude. Well, I so appreciate that, man. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a it's been a a great decade plus knowing you, and yeah, I'm glad that uh, we're still in contact and that you're you're doing well in Chattanooga. Uh, and yeah. I look forward to to hearing more stories as as time goes by and you play more gigs out there and stuff, man. Yeah, man. Likewise, absolutely. Thank, thank you so much for doing this. This was awesome reminiscing and. Yeah. Uh, let's Thanks do for having one. me, man. Good job <laughs> at the studio again. Anyone listening, man, hit Evan up. He's a good dude. Good to work with. Got a great space. I know it. Hit him up, man. He's doing awesome. Thanks, man. And if any bands are touring through Chattanooga, hit Scott up. He'll rent out the Need library for two hours, hit and then he'll, he'll record on your track. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Awesome, man. Thanks again. I right, appreciate it, dude. Later. Cool, cool.